Good morning, class! For today's history lesson, we're going to talk about someone very important. The President of the United States of America. Now, I'm sure a lot of your parents have told you that maybe one day you'll grow up to be the President. I want to let you know right now that that is a lie. Not one of you in this class will ever be President. Hello and welcome to the Almost President's Podcast weekly coverage of the 2024 presidential election. On today's episode, the results of the Democratic primary in South Carolina are in, and Joe Biden wins his first slate of electors that didn't grow up in Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends since the New Hampshire primary was like scrimmage, the team played, but didn't actually count. Kevin, I don't want to move on. Do you remember Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends on Cartoon Network? Yeah, I was just gonna say I'm I'm picturing that one basketball player guy with like half an arm out there voting as a New Hampshire delegate or whatever. I think I feel like that's a good image. I think that was my favorite character too. He was a good one, yeah. But honestly, the the show kind of sucked. Can we agree on that? I don't remember it that well. I remember liking it. It may have okay. sucked though. I mean, there's lots of shows that I go back to and don't like. I think it had a really good pilot. Not not that I was familiar with that word at the time. Like the first episode is really good, I remember. And then the rest of it, I was like kind of just not really getting super into it. Although I did like the kangaroo with the sick mustache and the top hat and the monocle. I think he was the dude who kind of ran the orphanage. Right, right. And I think there was like an old lady who also ran things. But Right, 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 right. Um, before I move on from this story, though, all jokes aside, I do want to mention I did just read a piece from Politico that said that Congressman Clyburn is working with the head of the DNC, uh, Jamie Harrison, to work on a way for the delegates in New Hampshire to actually count. So more on that as it develops. Nice. It's like, do the Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends people, do they have to vote by mail? They're just figuring that out. Yeah. Did, were they real this whole time, which I guess would make for, I think, probably a pretty good horror movie, right? Or at least a lot of parents who have to go to therapy with their kid. And next up, by the time you hear this, and it's actually going on as you, you and I are recording, Kevin, the Nevada primaries are happening. And for the Republicans, people are caucusing as well. So that'll have happened when this comes out. And what we're going to do, since we don't know the results, is we're going to do some Marianne Williamson crystal magic to forecast for you what the results will likely be. Very hard to predict. Near impossible, especially on the Democratic side. And Nikki Haley makes a surprise appearance at a Trump town hall, or at least a skit of one, on Saturday Night Live, and filling the Burgum with Doug Burgum. But before we bring you to this week's updates on the 2024 presidential election, we need to start with something far more important for purposes that don't just extend to search engine optimization, which, Kevin, that is part of what I'm going for. That's why we're doing this. But this, of course, is referring to last Sunday. When Taylor Swift won her 14th Grammy winning album of the year for her most recent album, Midnights. So to many, this moment may have seemed like a major milestone in musical history because admittedly it was. Swift now holds more Grammys for album of the year than Frank Sinatra, Paul Simon, and Stevie Wonder. But what a lot of people don't know is that it was this exact moment that a green light was given to a massive until now largely secret PSYOP, led by the Biden administration, to use Taylor Swift's popularity, as well as her unwelcome invasion into the NFL, 
by the strategic decision to date or pair her with Travis Kelsey, who, as we all know, is a pawn of Anthony Fauci in the deep state, who openly promotes vaccines that save lives, as well as Bud, as well as Bud Light, which we know how horrific that whole thing was when they dared to send Bud Light to a trans person. Just the sheer fact that they acknowledge the humanity of trans people, it's, it's unforgivable. Um, and of course, this is all being done to not only swing the vote to Biden by a halftime endorsement by Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl, but to also rig this Super Bowl in favor of the Kansas City Chiefs. And look, folks, if you don't believe me, the proof is in the pudding. The name of the album says it all, Midnight's. We move at midnight to overthrow American democracy. Swifties, stand back, stand by. But, but seriously, this is so stupid. Like, I can't even continue with the joke. Because, um, Kevin, I, I do have some of the best takes on this conspiracy theory because I have to say, I think it's a major miscalculation by the right. I think they're really poking the bear here. Like, I really don't think Taylor Swift is someone that you want to get mad at you because when it comes to politics, she's not just going to make a song. She could quite literally lead an army of Swifties with friendship bracelets that now say Joe Biden to the polls if she decides to endorse him. So I'm kind of loving it. Like, keep pushing, guys, because I dare you to see what happens. So I figured we would just start the show with some takes from both sides. I don't think this is one of those cases where the truth lies somewhere in the middle, but some of them are interesting nonetheless, and some of them are just straight up insane. So one of my favorites we could start out with is one that came from the Swifties themselves, who said, quote, Gen Z has a message for Trump. Go ahead and keep attacking Taylor Swift. We dare you. By picking a fight with Taylor, you're picking a fight with young voters. The last thing you need is an even worse reputation with us come November. Nice little reference to another Taylor Swift album there. I'm not sure if that was intentional or not. Oh, did I miss the reference? Reputation is a is a Taylor Swift album. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That shows which of us is the true Swifty here. I mean, look, I'll take it. I just like that it's kind of menacing. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say I have to agree. The last group of people on the planet that I want to fuck with right now is the Swifties. I just don't. And I'll even say I think Midnight's should have won that award. It totally shouldn't have gone to the much better album by SZA, SOS, which is far better than Midnight's. It totally should not have gone to that album. I'll say it. All right. Well, be careful with the sarcasm if, if that's what you were doing there. Because, yeah, we definitely don't want to mess with these people. They they have a an army that spans generations at this point. But who has a bigger army? According to Donald Trump, he says that he is more popular than Taylor Swift, which kind of reminds me of when John Lennon said he was more popular than Jesus. Yeah, I think I disagree with both Trump and John Lennon in this case. I don't think anybody in the world has ever been as popular as Taylor Swift. I think this is a new phenomenon. Yeah, that's probably right. Maybe Ronald McDonald or something. But So something else I love was something that came out of the Trump campaign where somebody said that Taylor Swift publicly backing Biden again quote, would be more fuel thrown onto the culture war fires. And this person characterized this gesture as, quote, another left-wing celebrity who is part of the Democrat elite telling you what to think, which 
is amazing because it almost seems like this whole culture war thing is completely one-sided. Like there's only one side starting lighting and fueling the flames. And it's funny coming from somebody from the Trump campaign accusing somebody else of taking their cue from like somebody telling them how to think. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that some of this stuff has been so controversial because literally all she did, unless I'm misremembering something or unless I missed something in the news, all she did back in the day when she endorsed Biden was literally just bake cookies with like the Biden logo on them. And I think that was really it. So I think a lot of these quotes, what they really say is that these people are terrified of Taylor Swift and oh, they have to kind of. They have to kind of frame this as like, oh, will it be so controversial if she said that she liked Biden or something like, okay. (laughs) And it's just amazing that this was said during the same news week as we have Trump shutting down a border deal where Republicans essentially negotiated and got like much more than they had asked for and are just walking away from it because Trump told them to and just watching that percolate down from Trump saying this is a bad deal. I'd rather have no deal than a bad deal to then hearing Mike Johnson repeating similar things, to then hearing the hardliner Freedom Caucus people saying similar things, to just hearing straight up that the bill is going to be dead on arrival. <laughs> so it's just like, hey, like, are you able to look inward at all? Because you wouldn't be saying that if you realized how silly you all look right now. Who's telling you how to think? Donald Trump is. And apparently it's not working very well. All right. Another one. This is kind of a facepalm one. This hard right agitator. I don't know him, which I guess is a good thing. Jack Posobiec said, quote, the Taylor Swift girl boss PSYOP has been fully activated from her hand-selected vaccine shill boyfriend to her dink lifestyle to her upcoming 2024 voter operation for Democrats on abortion rights. It's all coming. Before we begin, did you know what dink meant, this acronym dink? I feel like I've heard it before. I think it's absurd, obviously, but... Yeah, I had to look this up. Stands for dual income, no kids. So I guess Taylor Swift, by being 34 years of age and not having any kids, is somehow an affront to the party of family values, I guess. Also, in fairness, her and Travis Kelsey are not married, so she does not have dual income. She has a very large income, obviously, but she does not have a dual income. She has a single income. So technically, I guess that makes her a sink. But, you know, that's, a, I guess, a less fun phrase. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like that one. A lot of sexism coming from that one, um, which never comes from Sean Hannity, who said, quote, maybe Taylor Swift just bought into all the lies about conservatives and Republicans. I had such a hard time not laughing. <laughs> he goes, on, he says that they are racist and sexist and homophobic and xenophobic and transphobic and Islamophobic. And Republicans and conservatives want dirty air and water and a total ban on all abortion with no exceptions. If she believes all that, she is believing a lie because those talking ports are simply untrue, to which I would say which ones are untrue. Yeah, you should be careful. He's running up against a lot of classic Republican Party policies there. Yeah, which I mean, if this is the party of Donald Trump, which one of those are not true? And I included this guy because, Kevin, last week you said that you miss him. So I figured I would include him. Just Friend to, of the uh, pod here. Yeah. Friend of the oh, pod. Jesus. I don't know if you want to say that after reading this quote. You want to read this one? <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. So our, our, I guess the team rocket 
to our podcast. You might say Vivek Ramaswamy said, quote, I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl next month. And I wonder if there's a major presidential endorsement coming from an artificially culturally propped up couple this fall, unquote, which, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what you got to say when you are about, you know, one trillionth the amount of fame that Taylor Swift has. And you are just seethingly jealous that somebody can get that kind of attention and get that kind of support from people. And it just seems like he's not coming up with his own talking points. You know, he, he's just spinning what is already getting spun for him. Yeah, which is kind of, you know, maybe he's the one with the artificial talking points being thrown around. Whatever. Yeah. The next one I like because it comes from Jesse Waters. Um, and he literally just basically runs his show for a moment like it's an episode of Ancient Aliens asking, is Swift a front for a covert political agenda? We're curious because the pop star who endorsed Biden is urging millions of her followers to vote. And then he goes on in the segment to say that he has no evidence. So it's kind of like that ancient astronaut theorist would suggest where they can basically say whatever crazy things they want on ancient aliens because they're just suggesting. They're not saying any of this stuff is actually grounded in any kind of evidence. Yeah, that's always the fun part, right? You can always say, well, you know, I was just asking the question. I was just curious, you know, and then you can kind of weasel away from the point that you were totally trying to make. But I guess I've never been someone who respected Jesse Waters anyways, so I'm not surprised here. No, absolutely not. And I think that Gavin Newsom kind of in taking on his role as a surrogate for Biden and potentially as a guy who's trying to cultivate that much coveted Taylor Swift endorsement for Biden kind of sums it up nicely, I thought, when he said in an interview Quote, Republicans that are looking down and passing Taylor Swift do so at their own peril. What is her sin? What is her sin? She wants more people to vote. She wants more people to register to vote and remind them of the importance of expressing their democratic rights and responsibilities. And that says everything you need to know about the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, based on that Jesse Waters quote, it certainly seems to be true. You know, he said quite explicitly that part of the problem was that she is urging her followers to vote. Oh God, (laughs) how dare she? Could you imagine in a democracy? I know. So I guess, and this is just to kind of sum up a Jimmy Kimmel bit. It just is, it's kind of funny because the same folks that are saying that Biden is basically a brain dead hand operated puppet of Barack Obama is somehow involved in this diabolical scheme just seems a little bit like you can't have both. Yeah, that's always the uh, thing, right? Is our our political enemies are always at the same time omnipotent and totally powerful. But then on the flip side, they're bumbling idiots who have no clue what they're doing. And it's it's like, well, okay, which one is it here? All right, Kevin. So hopefully that got us some listens and uh, brought you a little bit of joy at the freaking madness that is going on about absolutely nothing. Just two people who happen to be very famous and incredibly gifted and talented at their respective you know, fields, whether it be football, whether it be music, deciding to engage in a perfectly normal romantic relationship is somehow some kind of deep state Joe Biden democratic freaking psyop. So whatever. Moving on to the South Carolina Democratic primary, where on Saturday, February 3rd, 
Democrats went to the polls and voted. I do want to say before we get to the results, it is worth noting that while this race awards 55 delegates, the voter turnout was very low. There was really only 4% of registered voters who turned out to vote. That's 131,000 South Carolinians. Compare this with 16% of the voters who turned out in 2020. So quadruple the amount that turned out for this and 12% who turned out in 2016. But with that in mind, Joe Biden, of course, wins it 96.2% of vote. And uh, so I guess we'll talk about the bottom two. These are definitely going to be some almost presidents sooner than later. Marianne Williamson coming out with 2.1% of the vote to Dean Phillips, 1.7. So I don't know, Kevin, what are your thoughts about these results? Yeah, I mean, we have to talk about something, right? So we might as well talk about this. And, you know, it's kind of an upset in a very, very small way. I don't think anybody really has paid any attention to Marianne Williamson this whole time, even though she's been in the race for quite a while now. I think she was one of the first people to declare, aside from Trump, who declared, you know, as soon as he lost, I guess, I don't know, or accepted that he lost, whatever, you know, whatever you might want to say, which and, uh, um, he hasn't accepted that. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But um, but in any case, Marianne Williamson has been in the race for quite a while, and you don't really hear talk of her. You hear a lot of talk of RFK, Dean Phillips, whoever. But people forget that Marianne Williamson still out there, crystals in hand, <laughs> chasing down Biden, you know, kind of far behind by 100,000 votes or so. But Oh, incredibly far behind. Yeah. But for her, this was a great night. Because she, at this point in 2020, had already dropped out of the race. She dropped out even before the Iowa caucuses had started. So this is actually the furthest she's gone in a run for president. And this is the highest amount of primary voters she's got. So in a way, a great night for her and a terrible night for Dean Phillips, who I think would like to think of himself as the the more serious candidate than Marion Williamson. He does have actual experience in government, not just running a gelato empire. But at the same time, he kind of plays off his defeat in a similar way to Nikki Haley when she finished third in Iowa. But he doesn't really have as much ground to do so because Nikki Haley was a lot closer than uh, Dean Phillips was to catching Biden. He pretty much just said, quote, who got whooped last night? I did. My rear end is a little sore. And then he says, of course, I'm congratulating the president. My rear end is a little bit sore. That's one way of saying it, Dean. And he asked, cracking four digits never felt so good. Congratulations, Mr. President, on a good old-fashioned whooping. See you in Michigan. And if that doesn't sum up the Dean Phillips campaign for you, the fact that he got 1.7% of the vote, he couldn't make any kind of a statement in New Hampshire, then I'll give you one more. This is from the New York Times, who reported that at one event for Dean Phillips last month that was held in Columbia, South Carolina, as it was being set up, the campaign staffers feared that the attendance would not justify the number of chairs that they set up. So they set up a smaller number of chairs and the seats that they wound up filling were literally 10. And Dean Phillips said that, wow, this feels like a seance. To which I would say that, no, it's not a seance because that would be a Marion Williamson campaign and you would probably have at least 20 people filling seats. Well, it is a seance in the sense that they were making contact with something that's already dead, which is Dean Phillips's campaign. So, damn, that's a good one. Yeah, that's true. 
But yeah, so at this point, it looks like both Dean Phillips and Marion Williamson are going to continue their campaigns. Who knows for how long? Apparently, Dean Phillips plans to stay in uh, into Michigan, but we'll see how that goes for him. And I suppose it was either an option for him of dropping out now or continuing on to Michigan because that state in the middle, Nevada, he's he was too late. He didn't register in time to get on the ballot. So he's not going to be on there. So it's going to be Joe Biden and Marianne Williamson and I suppose some unknowns on that primary ballot. Yeah. And in the sense that this was a competition for second all along, uh, this is great news for Marianne Williamson because she's got second locked up in Nevada. So, And I would encourage you, listener, to look at that same. You could easily find it of Dean Phillips saying that he got whooped and congratulating the president because then he gives this weird convoluted reason as to why he's still running in the race that just doesn't seem to make sense at all. So I don't know. Dean Phillips is a guy that I want to give a shot, but I just think that sensibly by the standards of any way that you ever run a campaign, unless it's like Ron DeSantis's campaign that just didn't know which way it was up, you don't have a viable candidate. Yeah. I mean, it's true. You really don't. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find candidates in other elections who have these kind of numbers and keep going. Of course it happens. And I think particularly it happens when you have candidates who think there are particularly deep flaws with the incumbent or the the candidate who is in the lead. Um, I believe some of the people who competed against Trump stayed in for quite a while in 2020. But again, similar situation. They basically posted nothing. Um, so yeah, I think that's what we should expect to see here as well. So last question I had before we move on is, were you expecting that the voter turnout would be a little bit higher just kind of in the wake of the DNC deciding that South Carolina was going to be the first in the nation to primary? And this was because they wanted to represent a much more diverse state, you know, racially, you know, incomized and New Hampshire, and and yet we see lower than in 2020, lower than in 2016. I, I'm not sure what to make of that. I mean, it's hard to make much out of like the results, but like, what about the fact that not that many people turned out to give us those results? Yeah. So, I mean, my thoughts on that are, it is quite low, but when you're telling me, right, the 2020 vote is 16%, the 2016 vote is 12% of voters, seeing it at 4% is not totally surprising to me, given that this is the first time since 2012 that Democrats have been running an incumbent president rather than somebody who is not an incumbent. Those races, 2016 and 2012, or sorry, 2016 and 2020, were very much up in the air. And so people were a lot more motivated to get out and vote, especially because there were these candidates like Bernie Sanders, for example, or Elizabeth Warren, who felt like they represented some kind of change from the status quo. And that probably drove more young people to the polls and things like that. So I'm not altogether shocked that it's lower. It might be significantly lower than it should be. Offhand, I don't know what the 2012 numbers were, but I'd be interested to see and compare what those were because you know, I would expect it to be a little bit lower when there's an incumbent running instead of it being an up-in-the-air race. All right. So chronologically, the Republicans are going to primary as well as caucus, which we'll get into in Nevada. 
before this happens. But since we are in the state of South Carolina for the Democrats, we might as well talk about the Republicans as well. So this is going to happen February 24th, the Republican primary in South Carolina, but early voting will start as early as February 12th and end February 22nd. Currently, as of today, February 6th, Trump leads with 63% in the polls and Haley is down at 31.9%. The most optimistic polls for Haley's campaign have Trump up by nearly 29 points, while the most pessimistic polls have Trump up as much as 40 points. Although I will say it is worth noting that these were polls that were conducted specifically by the Make America Great Again PAC. So they might be kind of you know biased in a certain candidate's direction. They might be pulling from a certain constituency to get those numbers. But either way, not looking great. But what does look great that I do appreciate is Nikki Haley's attitude towards the South Carolina Republican leadership backing Trump pretty much to a man or woman. Haley has more or less said, you know what? Fuck him. <laughs> she was at a rally in Conway, South Carolina, where she says, and you've probably seen the end of this, where she kind of puts Tim Scott on blast, which is great. She says, quote, so the press asked me, well, what do you think about the fact that your governor in South Carolina came and stood behind Donald Trump with all the other South Carolina elected officials? And I said, I'm sorry, do you mean the one I defeated when I ran for governor? Do you mean the Speaker of the House and those elected officials that I forced to have show their votes on the record when they were trying to hide behind voice votes? Do you mean that same political group that I forced to pass ethics reform and made them show where their income comes from? The same group that I banned half a million dollars worth of pet projects that they were upset about? That group? You can have them. I don't want them. You're going to sit there and have Lindsey Graham stand up next to you and we're supposed to say, oh, that's what we need to be doing. And I'm just going to let the Tim Scott one go. That's up to y'all. I'm not going to say anything about it. We all have to live with our decisions. So first of all, woof to that Tim Scott bit. And second, it's good that someone within the Republican Party is embarrassed by these people. It's pretty crazy that the only one, the only person who is not completely cucked by Trump is Nikki Haley. And that's basically, to me, what that quote is saying. And yeah, totally savage. Love it. This is kind of why I like having Nikki Haley in the race. And I mean, on those polling numbers, I do think they're obviously not a good sign for Nikki Haley. You obviously want to be winning in your home state. But I do wonder, what is it going to mean for Trump to have this actually pretty serious contender up against him? And and I, I have to wonder how long Haley is going to stay in the race, only because one thing you know I heard somebody talking about this the other day, and it was something I hadn't thought of, is... Trump is spending so much energy right now attacking Nikki Haley. And the more energy he expends attacking Nikki Haley is less time that he spends attacking Joe Biden. And I have to imagine that that hurts him a little bit at least because he wants to be focusing on that. He wants to be skipping this part and focusing on Biden. But Trump can't help himself <laughs> noticing these numbers and saying, oh, it's not 100%. It's not 100% of the Republican Party that's supporting me. And so he has to kind of go after Nikki Haley. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. This is probably, my guess is, this will be the last primary election that has results that are worth watching, frankly. But I guess we'll see. Yeah. And I think on the Democratic side, Biden does already have not only the incumbency advantage, but he does not have, I think you were saying this before, any kind of a competitor dogging him in the way that Haley is dogging Trump. So 
he can start firing shot after shot at Trump. And he has been in South Carolina, among other places. And hopefully with the whole border deal that went kaput because Trump said to walk away from it, he can just continue to use that again and again and again. And then, I mean, I know that Trump's campaign is hoping to have the nomination wrapped up before he's basically just stuck in the courtroom during prime campaign season. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, it'd be nice to have Haley stay in the race and keep dogging him. But I think losing her home state is there's there's still going to be an impact there that she's going to feel. It's going to be pretty devastating. For sure. And at some point, the donors are going to have questions about the legitimacy of the project. For sure. But what blows my mind is the fact that $50 million in donor money is going to Trump's legal bills. Like, How is that a viable candidate either? It's a really good question. And I think that's going to have an effect long term because if you're, well, one, right, nowadays, small dollar donors are very important. And if you're a small dollar donor, if you're donating to the Trump campaign, if you're donating like 50 bucks to the Trump campaign, that 50 bucks is going straight into legal fees. Yeah. <laughs> and at least for me, I, I I know Trump supporters are very psychologically different than I am. At least for me, I would be like, fuck that. <laughs> I don't care about that. Like, I want my money to be going towards winning the election. That's what I want. And um, of course, the campaign probably wants to be spending money on the election as well because they want to win. And it's going to be an open question. You know, we talked on this podcast about the 1968 election, one of the big factors there was uh, Hubert Humphrey ran out of money. <laughs> and that was one of the reasons probably why he lost. And is that going to happen to the Trump campaign? It remains to be seen, of course. And you know, money isn't everything, but it certainly matters. And it certainly matters if Trump is not going to be able to afford to run ads because he's paying off people that he potentially sexually assaulted. <laughs> So. Right. And, and I'm trying to follow the convoluted logic to see if there is, in fact, any logic to it, because there is a reason why Trump is so far ahead. There's a reason why people are still talking about him, even though he led an insurrection at the Capitol. And I don't know if it's just that they're hoping to get as many cameras in these courtrooms as possible, cause as many problems as possible. I know that there's the entanglement in Georgia with uh, the the judge and one of the lawyers, potentially, what was it like a romantic relationship that like Trump's people are just completely teeing off on. But if that's the strategy, like, hey, money going into legal fees is actually money well spent because it's going into that narrative of this guy is a martyr. They're coming after him because they want to come after us. That whole thing that he's gotten everybody to believe. So this is actually money well spent. But to me, it just seems like some rich bum who's having somebody else pay, it, pay his legal fees. But then again, people who support Trump are not thinking about things in, in the way that you or I would. And I'm not saying that they're any less of an, an American you know, or any less of a person, but um, it's just a different calculus in the way you think about your I – mean, I mean, I think most of them aren't even thinking about it on, on as much of a you know, freaking deep daily – level as as you or I are, you know, they're kind of going about their lives, whereas people like you and I are the ones that obsess over this shit. Well, and you also have to keep in mind, the campaign probably can't do anything to stop Trump from using that money. Trump is ultimately the boss of the campaign. And yeah, I mean, arguably, <laughs> it is the best use of the money, because if Trump winds up in jail, the campaign's over, <laughs> you know? So, That's true, too. Uh, 
well, arguably it's not, but but for the sake of conversation, it is over. And so arguably it is the best use of the money. And what are you going to do if you're a campaign manager and you're like, well, I'd rather spend this money on TV ads. Are you going to tell Trump that? And if you do, your ass is going to be fired <laughs> before you can say Trump 2024. I don't know, whatever you want to say there. Um, so there's not really an option, I don't think. And yeah, I would argue it seems like it probably is the best use of the money simply because they got to do whatever they can to keep this guy out of jail because he's their only hope at getting to the presidency right now because they torch Nikki Haley. Right. Because it's what they've chosen. Yeah. Anyways, in as much as we can moving on from Trump briefly, but you know, of course we're going to circle back almost immediately here. Nevada is the next state up. As you said at the beginning, Ryan, it's already underway uh, voting as we are currently speaking. By the time you're listening to this, it will have been decided. Votes are being cast as we speak. And we'll get to the Democratic side. There's not a ton to talk about there, but we'll we'll do that last. Um, the Republican side is what's kind of interesting. And the primary here is going to be a little strange for reasons that we'll explain. Um, but basically, there were changes to the state law um, that were made in 2021, which made all male voting possible. And it also made some changes to registration and things like that, aka all things that Republicans do not like ever since 2020 when Donald Trump lost, allegedly for these reasons. Um, and so in addition to the primary, the GOP is going to hold caucuses in kind of the way that Iowa does, where people have to show up in person. And they're basically doing this as a reaction to that, as a kind of protest of that. Keep in mind, primaries are run by parties, not states. And so they can kind of decide how they want to nominate people it's kind of up to them. But, you know, these laws are still in place. So the primary is still going to happen, but it just doesn't count towards the delegates at all. And only the caucus vote is going to count towards the delegates. The caucus vote will be held on Thursday, which is the day that you're listening to this. And the primary vote happened on Tuesday. But here's the catch. Candidates who appear on the primary cannot also appear on the caucus ballot, which means that anybody who is on the primary ballot is basically banned from the caucus. And the people who survived that test are Trump and a pastor named Ryan Binkley, who I feel like we're failing at our jobs here, Ryan, because I didn't know this guy until today. I feel like I may have heard his name, but he certainly wasn't on my radar very much. That's kind of how the Nevada caucus and primary are going to work. Obviously, given these circumstances and given that this situation is wildly beneficial to Trump, there's a lot of speculation that this whole thing was rigged by Trump and that pressure from the Trump camp caused the RNC to basically do it this way. Um, but there's nothing really confirmed on that. It's 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 rumors. Yeah. I got to say, Nevada was kind of like as far as our weekly podcast goes at football, I was just punting from week to week because I was so confused and just disinterested in figuring out particularly why this was the way it was when ultimately Trump's just going to win anyway. But it's just so bizarre. Like, so Trump's going to win the caucus. Haley's going to win the primary, but the party has decided that the delegates are going to be awarded to the winner of the caucus. So they're like, so therefore Trump, so it's just, it's so bizarre. Like, why would Haley not also choose 
to be in the caucus if that's where the delegates are going to be. Yeah, I'm not sure I fully understand that myself, but we're taking callers about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure I entirely understand that myself. My guess would be that, I mean, these rule changes were, I think, fairly late. And so my guess is maybe she just wasn't able to make it onto the caucus ballot, you know, whatever requirements they have for that. And then predictably, the Democrats are going to be much more boring as they have been compared to the firestorm going on the Republican side for the past uh, eight years and change. So on the ballot for the Democrats in Nevada, which is going on as we record, it's already happened as you're listening, Joe Biden, Marion Williamson, not on the ballot, Dean Phillips, um, Kevin and I, are, we have our crystals out virtually. I, th- I think this virtual crystal magic can work through a video call. I'm calling it for Joe Biden. I think that he's going to win and I think he's going to win by a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think as long as we set our intentions and we use our manifestational energy, I think that the remote crystal magic will work. I think I'm going to differ with you on this one. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be real close. Just kidding. I also think Joe Biden's going to win. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm inside right now. So I think after this, I'm going to go up and look at the stars. If they're not covered by clouds, I'll look at the stars. I'll kind of hold some crystals. I'll, I'll manifest my best intentions towards Joe Biden uh, as the, the winner to this. And, you know, we'll, we'll see ultimately what happens. Dean Phillips, again, just proving his just non-viability as a candidate. He didn't get in the race in time. He missed the filing deadline for Nevada. So he's going to have to wait till Michigan for his next chance to lose electors to Joe Biden. So that's about Nevada wrapped up for the Democrats. All right. So lastly here, an almost funny TV show this week had on an almost president, Nikki Haley, where she performed in a skit. This was SNL, of course. I don't want to forget that this was SNL. And uh, she was playing the part of a concerned South Carolina voter in a town hall talking to Donald Trump or whoever the new guy they got to play Donald Trump after Alec Baldwin. Killed someone. And, Sorry. It, right, right. And so I think the the whole skit was a way for her to throw some jabs, uh, some free jabs at Donald Trump for his losing his home state in 2020. His home state at the time, of course, was New York, not Florida, which is, I guess, what we consider it to be now. And then towards the end there, uh, Haley had a back and forth with one of the guests on the show in which she walked back her remarks about the Civil War and whether or not it was about slavery, which was kind of an interesting exchange there. So, Ryan, what did you think about this appearance? Is Haley off the hook for this whole slavery remark? I thought it was funny, and I don't usually laugh at SNL. I usually just don't watch it anymore. Um, I, I just don't really think it was ever super funny during our coming of age, you know, when we, when we would actually start watching something like that. I know they had the Lonely Island guys on for a while. But, I mean, I thought it was funny. I think Alec Baldwin does do a better Trump, but he did kill somebody. Um, so there is there is that. Um, but it was funny. I definitely got the tone that the folks at SNL have the same feeling towards her that we do in a sense. Like they're – hoping that she stays in the race to kind of keep this going a little bit longer and have somebody on the right 
who is firing at the hip at Trump finally. I do think it was interesting that they gave her that opening to walk back the slavery gaffe. And I always do think of that word in this context in air quotes. I'm not sure if it was a gaffe. I like to think that it was and give her the benefit of the doubt, but you just never know these days. So I thought that was an interesting opening that they gave her. And I think it was good the way that she played it off. I'm not sure if it's going to help her or hurt her or if it's going to matter. And I'm not sure if anybody who is a persuadable Republican voter would even watch SNL anymore and if that would be enough to kind of shift their their vote. But I don't know. It was it was funny. You know, it was a good watch. I thought it was it was well written. I enjoyed watching it. So for that, it was good. Yeah, I mean, I'll echo a lot of the same things. I do think it was a little strange. I understand why SNL would have her on, but yeah, I don't quite understand why she decided to go on. And to me, it kind of reminds me of Chris Christie going on all these liberal podcasts to talk to all these liberal podcasters for some reason. And it just didn't make a ton of sense. And at least I thought Nikki Haley at least would kind of know better and had a better strategy for her campaign rather than I'm just going to get up on stage and yell at Trump. So it, it didn't quite make sense to me. On the slavery, Civil War stuff, um, I'm kind of with you where I'm like, I don't really know if that was a gaffe. My take on it, I guess, is that she probably was caught in the moment and didn't know whether it would look bad for her to say that slavery was the cause of the Civil War with some of her voters. And so she tried to go with like a safe option. And now she's trying to walk it back because it didn't really work. I'm kind of of the mind that if somebody is willing to go on there and say, you know, I should have said that in the first place, I think you should kind of, we should kind of like forgive over some of these things. Yeah. I think the reason why I still struggle with it is because she then made that comment a few weeks later that America was never a racist country, where I think anybody with over a second grade education in this country, perhaps even earlier, who is honest with themselves about the history of this country would know, hey, wait, we held people in slavery because their skin was a certain color. Uh, That doesn't sound like a country that was never racist to me. So that's why I'm like, all right, like, is that like, does does two plus two equal four here? Or do we have two gaffes? Like, I don't know. I don't know. But I do like the fact that she went with the joke and said, look, yeah, I messed up on that one. So cool. Good for her. Wish more people could do that in, in and out of politics. And that leaves us with our closing segment Feeling the Burgum with Doug Burgum. If you're a first-time listener to our weekly podcast, this is a segment that we close the show with in honor of a man who, not so long ago, stumbled out of the wilderness of North Dakota. This man turned out to be the governor of North Dakota. Wow, who knew that that state even had governors? Um, And not only that, this was a man who was running for president, Doug Burgum. And I'm sure we can all remember fondly how his long-shot campaign for president got us excited, got us fired up. Feeling the Burgum, you might say, that maybe, just maybe, this goofy guy with the eyebrows and the torn ACL could overcome the forces of the RNC and the deep state and become president. And of course, when that didn't happen, he dropped out and endorsed Trump, which ultimately left us with no other choice but to feel the Burgum about other things in an attempt to feel what that campaign made us feel alive, electrified, fired up, feeling the Burgum, excited and angry when it all came to an end. So this week, I'm feeling the Burgum about Larry David trying to kill Elmo. Did you hear about this? More importantly, did you watch it? 
I heard about it. I did not watch it. So you're going to have to inform me on this, this segment here. Yeah. So they had Larry David on the morning show and he basically is next up for an interview. They're actually interviewing Elmo beforehand, which we'll get to. And he just goes and throttles Elmo, like grabs him by the neck. And I think he even tries to shove his, his hand down Elmo's throat. <laughs> and so, you know, I see this and I'm, I'm thinking about talking about it for this segment. I'm like, you know what? Like, this is Larry David. He has to have a motive here. What is the motive? Can I find out what his motive is? So it turns out he wanted a talk show later. I believe it was Seth Meyers. And he explained what his motive was. And it was this. He says, quote, Elmo was talking. I was waiting to be interviewed. And Elmo was going on about mental health. And I had to listen to every word. I was going, my God, oh my God, I don't think I could take another second of this. And so I got off my chair and I approached him and I throttled him. I couldn't take it. And you know what? I would do it again. So clearly no remorse coming from Larry David. And look, I don't watch the Today Show or any other morning show for that matter as a rule. Just not my bag. I think the people on them are just so fake and I'm usually not much of an early riser anyway, especially on the weekends. And if I am, I'd rather watch like Netflix or something like that while eating my breakfast instead of just a bunch of people with plastic smiles talking about bullshit. That being said, there is a larger context to this attack that is worth going into, and that is the mental health piece that Elmo was going on about when he was attacked. So this is so freaking stupid. Not Elmo, of course, but the account for Elmo on X had a post that you probably saw, Kevin, just in the fact that it became a meme, where Elmo just posts, how are you doing? And of course with this well-intentioned post being what it was, but the internet being what it is, and the fact that it was posted on X, which is kind of like the internet squared, you had people replying with all sorts of messed up shit. I think one of my favorites was uh, Elmo's fish Goldie in the crosshairs of a sniper rifle with somebody demanding ransom money. But on the flip side, Joe Biden also responded to it. And ultimately, as I understand it, the post was based around self-care and just people checking in with their mental health and also checking in with people around them to see how they're doing. So Elmo was being interviewed about that, and Larry David took it upon himself to attack Elmo because he just couldn't wait his turn. So you might expect me to step up on my soapbox here and start to trash Larry David because he took away precious TV time from the subject of mental health awareness. But let's be honest, this was Elmo talking about it, who's not a real person, not even a real monster or animal or anything. Elmo's a puppet. And some adult is putting on a weird Elmo voice to sound like that fucking monster's voice. And that's what we're using as a vehicle to talk about mental health. Like it's almost insulting in a way. And a bunch of like fake ass morning show people are just smiling and nodding at everything Elmo says, asking all these softball questions, almost treating mental health like it's not a daily battlefield that people go through and survive and some don't. But either way, it's a real struggle and it's a serious struggle and perhaps not one that Elmo should be talking about on a freaking morning show. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I guess any awareness of mental health is a good thing, but I still don't care that Larry David went after Elmo when a bunch of like 
adults in like suits and like nice dresses were just like smiling and nodding as they were interviewing a puppet. So I just think it was funny and shocking. And unless it hurt the puppeteer's hand, which I hope it didn't, it didn't hurt anybody. And honestly, at the end of the day, I think that is an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm that writes itself. So that's what I'm feeling the burger about this week. Yeah, I have to say, I kind of Googled around while you were talking and I found the uh, headline that really summarizes it all. It says, Elmo wrote a simple tweet that revealed widespread existential dread. Now the president has weighed in. Right. And just did Elmo not know that we were already there? Like, does Elmo ever leave Sesame Street? Like if we're if we're just gonna say that Elmo's real here and and is tweeting on X, does Elmo ever leave Sesame Street? We are not doing okay. Like look at the state of this country. Look at the state of the world. Look at the state of the planet. Like we are not okay. How dare you, Elmo? Ask how are you doing? We are not well. What are you gonna do to help us, Elmo? Yeah, I mean I'll be honest. I am of the mind that it was a pretty innocuous tweet. I mean the responses to it are kind of funny and. I have no problem with people responding that way. To me, what I, the lesson I learned from this is the kind of conversations that are probably helpful to people's mental health that you might want to have if you are someone who's promoting mental health via Sesame Street, they're not going to happen on the platform X in any universe. It's just not going to happen. It's only going to make everybody worse. Yeah. I mean, the lesson I learned is don't fuck with Larry David. Um and I hope that somebody, they probably already have, adds the Curb Your Enthusiasm music to that scene as, as he's uh, strangling Elmo and walking off. But it, it, again, you need to watch it, Kevin, because the people on the show acted like he had just attacked a real person and they were trying to save the integrity of the show by saying like, oh, hey, Larry, you know, like hands to yourself, man, like you can't just go up and touch somebody. And like Elmo's like, I, I used to love you, Larry. You know, it, it's just, it's so, so goofy. But look, I mean, I think when it comes to spreading mental health awareness and getting people to check in on on how they're doing with their mental health, you can have those conversations with kids. Yeah. And perhaps they have been had and maybe should be had on programs like Sesame Street. But I also think there's ways that you can seriously open that dialogue. Um, I watched this great movie. The It's based on a kid's book, but the screenplay was actually written by Charlie Kaufman, who I know that you uh, are a big fan of, Kevin, called Orion in the Dark. And that talks about a kid who has an anxiety disorder and panic attacks and things like that. And it addresses it in a way where it's like, these aren't just like things that go away. Mental health problems are oftentimes things that you build up coping strategies for. And anxiety is something that you sometimes have to you know, confront, you know, even when it's uncomfortable. And there are times where it's going to be uncomfortable. So there's ways to open up that dialogue. I just think anything that happens on a morning show is fake and weird. So Larry David coming along and shaking things up. I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, it, I didn't see the video, but it does seem like, I mean, first of all, it sounds to me like it was totally staged, but I could be wrong about that. Um, I don't think it was. I think he just went for Elmo's throat. Nobody's, I mean, Elmo's security detail was definitely not there to to protect him. Okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I generally am not a big morning show person myself either. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think I mean, I think a lot of those morning shows, they will kind of raise issues in a very light way where, you know, I could imagine them having a conversation about mental health that doesn't go super deep, but kind of like recommends that people 
seek out a therapist offer like explains where resources exist that someone could seek out a therapist if they wanted one or something like that. Um, and not that that's necessarily, you know, high caliber treatment of mental health, obviously, but I do think those, those today shows, they're just sort of meant for lightheartedness, plastic smiles, you know, pretty faces, that type of thing. And yeah, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a great vehicle for addressing mental health. I wouldn't be surprised if Sesame Street did actually do a good job treating a lot of these issues because generally speaking, they have been pretty good at addressing a lot of social issues in the past. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were talking about mental health in ways that genuinely does help kids to kind of understand where they're at, you know, which is kind of the best you can do if you're a TV show. Yeah. Well, ultimately, I think I think you're right about a lot of that. And uh, stay safe if you're Elmo. I mean, there's crazy people out there, one of whom is apparently Larry David. All right, folks, we will see you next week. If you haven't, the, earlier this week, we dropped episode nine in our second season on Samuel Tilden, who ran for president in a election in 1876, which uh, echoes probably more honestly the election of 2000, but was a chaotic, crazy, and violent election that does have some similarities to 2020 and hopefully not, but potentially this upcoming election. So check that out if you haven't. We talk a lot about almost presidents of the present, but also a lot about almost presidents of the past. So with that in mind, I'll see you folks next week. Great talking and uh, thanks for listening. Before you head out, feel free to subscribe and rate us. Leave a friendly comment on the way out. It really helps the podcast when you do. And if you enjoy what we're doing, you can find our Twitter or Instagram in the description below. We'll keep you updated about the show, and we'll also fill your feed with plenty of good old-fashioned memes. Follow us on Facebook as well if you're a Facebook person. Just type The Almost Presidents Podcast into that search bar. And lastly, you can write into the show. Our Gmail is thealmostpresidentspodcast at gmail.com, which you can also find in the description.